Well, good morning again as we continue on with our series, Esther, the Unseen Sovereign. And we're watching as we move through the book of Esther that God's hand is all over these situations. And uh, you don't necessarily see him at first glance, but as you start to think about what's going on, you see him behind the scenes. And for many of us, that's what we experience in 2020, 22. Uh, that you and I feel like we don't really necessarily see God speaking in dramatic ways, but at the same time, when we take inventory and reflect our life, we see that his hand has uh, been in our life and has been working our life and has been there all along, even though we did not notice him immediately or have trouble sometimes noticing him. So as we're thinking about this, uh, again, welcome to those uh, listening online. And uh, I think of Jonathan down in Ithaca, and I thank you for our online community, those who uh, listen or watch the service, so it's great to, great to have you here. So that's awesome, and then obviously to have you in person here. So um, when was the last time, switching gears a little bit, when was the last time you understood or thought you understood what another person was thinking, but you were completely wrong? Can you think of something, maybe that even happened today on the way to church or wherever, that you were completely wrong. And, uh, you know, there are times where you and I think that we know what's going on. Uh, We think we can figure out what someone's thinking or doing, and it really starts when we do that, and especially when we're wrong, it puts some crazy things into motion. Uh, But what if you weren't completely wrong? What if you could get in someone's head and know their thoughts and then act accordingly? What if you were like this guy? Nick Marshall thought he was God's gift to women, but he's about to discover what women think. Whoa, lighten up that aftershave, buddy. I'm talking personal, private stuff. The stuff that nobody on earth is supposed to hear. I hear that stuff. It's driving me crazy. Even French poodles, I can hear them. Monsieur, I need to poo-poo. I don't know how this happened to you or why. Hello? I'm Darcy. Think of the possibilities. Great photographs. No clue they're all Margaret Burke White. They're not all Margaret Burke White, are they? Yeah, they are. This guy's kind of exciting. (laughs) Here's your credit card back. okay? Do you realize that I have an Ivy League education and that running your stupid errands has put me into therapy? Why don't you take me seriously and give me some real work to do? Oh, yeah. You nearly killed me. Too badly missed. Wouldn't it be great... To know what was going on in people's minds and people's hearts, even for the tough stuff, and then you'd be able to figure that out. So, for example, guys, this tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and uh, your love may have said, don't get me anything. And wouldn't it be nice to know if don't get me anything actually means not get me anything? I don't know. We'll have to see if that works for you. But anyway, I'm going to give you, this is worth the price of admission this morning, get her something regardless of what she says. But anyway, so seriously, knowing someone's heart, being able to decipher what's going on in their mind uh, would just uh, really unlock and transform relationships. 
Uh, it would just change everything. It would, it would change us if we really knew what was going on in our hearts and our minds. Unlocking our own life or our own minds, our own hearts, would really unlock our lives. And uh, this is what we're going to see. Yes, we're in Esther, but we're getting the context set with um, Jeremiah this morning. And Jeremiah, fully inspired by God, says this. Nothing can hide its evil as well as the human heart or the human mind. It can be very sick. No one really understands it. And we've been in those situations, again, where that's taking place in somebody else's life. We can't understand it. And evil may seem as really harsh, but it does get our attention that there are all kinds of things going on in people's hearts. And we try to cover them up and try to hide them. And people really don't understand. Another translation says it this way. The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a prize that no one can figure out. Welcome to Seneca Community Church, where we're talking about happy things this morning. No. <laughs> but uh, seriously, uh, you know, we see that. Again, back to the next verse says, But I am the Lord. This is the good news. I can look into a person's heart. I can test a person's mind and decide what each one should have. I can give each person the right payment for what they do. And so, first of all, we see that God can figure things out for us. He can look into our heart and know what is really going on. So as a Christ follower, that means we need to be as close to God as possible so that he can decode what is going on in our heart. And uh, if you're not a Christ follower, if you haven't said yes to Christ, uh, this may sound a little arrogant, but uh, th that's a hard thing. You're, you're going to have a harder time figuring out what's going on in your heart, unlock those things, and in many cases, you're not going to be able to do it. But I think when you follow Christ and you slow down, he will help unlock what's going on in your heart. Again, back to that other translation, the message. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. And at first glance, we go, yes. And then at second glance, we go, oh, because he really knows what's going on in our heart. He knows how we think. He knows our motives. And yet he's saying that he wants to come alongside and help decode that, decipher that. So Mel Gibson in the movie he's in really can't read people's hearts, but uh, God can read our hearts. And a relationship with him can help that. I talked about this a little bit last week, when you and I sit down and read a portion of scripture and it speaks to our hearts, that's him speaking to us. And I'm going to be, you know, I, I don't think you can go that long reading his word and not have him speak to your heart and help decipher what is really going on. In Psalms, we read, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. I love that as I start to digest that. It made me think, wow, God knows my heart. He tests me and he knows why my heart is anxious. And often my heart is anxious is because I'm not trusting in him. This doesn't mean we shouldn't be aware of the crazy things going on in our world. We, we prayed for a lot of those. I hope if you're watching the news every once in a while, you 
pray for what you're seeing on the newscast. So that can make us uh, uh, either aware or anxious. Some of us don't watch news because we don't want to see all the bad news. And, and I get that, but sometimes we ought to watch it so we can actually pray for what is going on in our world. So we ask God to search our hearts, decode our hearts, to know what's going on, and then see where we're anxious. And sometimes you and I can be reacting to a completely different situation with a little bit more force, a little bit more emotion, but it's because we're anxious about something else, and he can help us to, to move through that. And I love the next verse. It says, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Lead me in your ways. And, and I want him to reveal things in my life. That's actually a win. Because if someone doesn't give me any direction in my life, if my heart is so dark on its own, I need God to speak into my life. I need him to use songs. Uh, it was great. The, the, the um, songs we sung really fit with what we're talking about this morning. So that was wonderful when that happens. And so, so when you're listening to the songs, when you're looking at scripture, when someone who's another Christ follower comes alongside, they can all help us figure out where the way of everlasting is for us. That's why it's important to have community Bible study. It's important to have uh, you know, community groups and those places where you're working with other people and he helps use them to find out where the offensive ways are in my life, where am I offending God, and it's not that I don't want to offend God because I know if I offend him, he's going to, like, stomp me. It's because we want a clean connection with God, and we want his little static on the line so we can actually see where he's leading us and how he is directing. So it's great. We look at our hearts. Jeremiah talks about that. If you know the backstory for Jeremiah, the people he's working with, uh, they say one thing, do another thing. It's just on and on and on. Not, nothing, they don't listen to him. And so they don't listen, which means they're not really listening to God. And he could be very frustrated. And he's saying, the heart, these hearts are just, this is the way the heart is. And, we, and then he doesn't stop with just that. He says, God can decipher and figure out what is going on in our hearts. And again, as we talked about last, year, last week, we started on this idea about our bottom line. It's going to continue on this week as we continue to unpack um, this idea that crooked sticks in the hand of God make straight lines. And that's just wonderful. It doesn't mean that we should strive to have more crookedness in our life. But however crooked we are, um, he can take our life and we put our life in his hands and he can draw straight lines. And I love that. He can use your life, use my life to make a difference in somebody's life. And that difference can be a lasting difference. So that is awesome. That is good news. That is a part of that good news, what we call the gospel, that he can take a person. When a person says yes to Christ, wants forgiveness, uh, repents of their life, that means they're going to start incorporating these ideas and their life is going to change. That as we do that, we can find that our life, no matter how broken it has been in the past, can make straight lines. Uh, Timothy Keller, I just came across this uh, just a couple days ago, says this, if sin is inside us, all we, can, all we cannot just break the world into heroes or villains. And uh, that's really a good statement for Esther because, as we saw last week, uh, there's no one who's a super good hero. They're moving in that direction. There are villains, but it's more complex than that. 
A lot of times when we come to God's word, we see it good, bad, good, bad, and we look around and we go, that person's bad, but I'm pretty good. But it's much more than that. There's this gray area as we unpack things and see how our life is. Now, when you and I are thinking these thoughts, we need to realize that uh, we're always going to push against three things. And these three things are sins, blunders, and misfortunes. Sins, when we just are out of alignment with God, we're being selfish, we're disobeying his ways. Um, I mentioned this somewhere in the last week. Uh, Mark Twain you know, said it wasn't the verses or the Bible passages that... He, he un- that he doesn't understand that trouble him. It's the ones that he does understand trouble him because those are the ones he ought to be incorporating in his life. So when we don't do that, we're sinning, we're disobeying. Uh, blunders. Blunders are when we take all this information and we put it all together and uh, it just doesn't turn out right. It wasn't uh, sin, but it, wasn't, it just didn't turn out right. Sometimes we do that with our employment. Um, we change jobs and the job has all kinds of promise. We get there, and three months in, they're closing the plant. We're like, what just happened? Um, I know when uh, Cindy and I, uh, when we moved out here, and we had the home still in, in New Hampshire, and then, uh, you know, when we bought it, we thought this was a great deal. We were getting this great thing and all this stuff. But then when we turned around and had to sell it two years ago, um, and we found out that we had lost like $65,000. Actually, it was seventy-five. dollars and, and, you know, it's just, it's just, it looked good. We bought it at a time. Everyone's saying, bye, 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 bye. But three or seven years later, when we sold it, it had lost all this money. And so that's like a blunder, and those things affect lives. Again, back to the sins, uh, they affect our lives, and there's also people on the outside that, in a sense, sin against us. And then there's just the misfortunes. There's just these tragedies that take place. And they can, they can happen just about anywhere. We, you know, there's, uh, there's something, there's an earthquake, there's a fire, there's a whatever, and it's just, it's, just, it's just, it's happening. And all these things are because of the brokenness of our world. And our lives are always going to push up against these. There's going to be a pressure with these. And that's because our world is broken. And that's just, just the way it is. And we have to come to terms with that. And we have to say, wow, these things are going to be pushing against me all the time. And so we need to make sure that that's not uh, taking us over. Uh, I love this verse. I sometimes uh, share this at a celebration of life. Sometimes something useless happens on the earth. Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. It's that, that confusion. It's that, how do you deal with that? That just You see something, someone who's just seems to be just a nice person and some kind of misfortune just comes into their life. Said another way, this is, uh, uh, Moses writes this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children that we may follow all his words. In other words, it's just things we're not going to get and we're not responsible for the things we get in a sense. It's just, you just got to just kind of move along past that. But the things that we do have been revealed to us, we are responsible for the way we interact with those. So that's kind of the background as we move in and pick up the story of Esther. So hearts are not perfect. There's a dark side to every heart. The question is how much do we feed that? How much do we let that roam around in our life? But we're always kind of fighting that to some degree. There are these three things that are always pushing against life. We might as well just expect these three things, uh, not, in a, not in a pessimist way, but just acknowledge it's a part of life. 
so we understand that. And that's the world Esther, Mordecai, Xerxes, uh, and eventually uh, Haman all find themselves in. So let's pick up in ex, um, Esther chapter 2. We're going to read just 19 through 23, and uh, we'll walk through this and draw some points on the other side of it. When the virgins were assembled a second time, it's thought that, uh, well, it's lots of things. Why were they assembling a second time? Some of it was to get them together. This was like a beauty concert, uh, contest. And so to get them together, and there's uh, Esther, wow, and all this kind of thing. So they were assembling again. Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. This is a place you did business. The idea is that Mordecai somehow has some kind of job uh, with, the, with the kingdom, with the, with, uh, from, from Xerxes or something's going on there. Uh, but Esther had kept her secret, kept secret her family background and nationality just as Mordecai had told her to do. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instruction as she had done when he was bringing her up. Again, Mordecai is her much older cousin that kind of adopted her and raised her because her parents had passed away. And so they were keeping it secret that uh, they were not uh, God followers to some degree. They were just kind of trying to keep that down. So what's going on with that? Uh, We talked last week, too, that they could have gone back to Jerusalem. They chose not to do that. Why didn't they go back? You know, there's some thoughts that, you know, they just want to stay where it was comfortable. Uh, you know, why did they do those things? You can't really totally unpack it, but that could be a part of it. So here they are. They've moved to the capital city, uh, and uh, it's, it's just where all, the, everything's happening, and this is where they are. And uh, Jerusalem was still a wreck at this time, so uh, they, just, they just didn't want to go back there. So this is the area that they're growing up in. So then you have this statement where Mordecai basically says, don't basically let anybody know that you follow God. Uh, Don't click that box on your Facebook page. Don't put things out there about that. Just pretend that that's not a part of your deal. And uh, again, why why he uh, would do that and why she would respond really on some level, we could say it for us today, if we were to apply that, we'd say that, uh, you know, it's comfort over Christ or comfort over God. Uh, They're deciding to uh, be comfortable, not be out there. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I've worked at places and uh, they find out that I'm a Christ follower, there's a, just a little bit more heat on my life. I mean, it's not disastrous, but uh, just uh, give me a little bit more of a hard time. Uh, what are you going to do about that? You're a Christian, all this kind of thing. And it seems like when I step out of line or do something wrong, they quickly know how a Christian's supposed to behave, even though that's farthest from their lifestyle at all. But they seem to know how that is. And they speak into that. So was Mordecai and Esther just trying to stay uh, under the radar? And it was comfortable. It was a good life. And they just didn't want to want to deal with that. And uh, was that some of the reason why they were doing that? Now, when you think about faith and you think about who you are, um, really, there's this idea. It's okay not to lead with your faith. And you're going to say, what are you talking about, Dave? It's, it's okay not to lead with your faith. Every time you meet somebody for the first time, you get that job, you're being interviewed, to, to go into your faith, it may not be the right time. You don't have to do that every time. Sometimes you need to ease into relationships, and then they start to discover who you are, how you live, and now there is credibility because your actions have been displayed, and now your words back up or backed up by your actions. 
Uh, I remember, you know, I grew up going to church as a little boy, and I remember being given a hard time about this when I was in my high school years. But when I met a new neighbor who had a couple kids my age, went over to the house first time, knocked on the door. I'm like, hi, I'm Dave. And they're like, hi, I'm whoever. It was Sheila Taramini. And she said, hi. And I said, I'm Baptist. What are you? I mean, that was like the first, like, three words. I've been programmed really good, I guess, as a kid that, you know, I need to share my faith. And so she thought that was very funny that that was like the first thing that came out of my mouth. And then I heard about it for the next 10 years as they lived in the neighborhood because they, you know, that was just weird to them. So this idea of, again, it's not, it's not, it's okay not to lead with your faith. Um, sometimes it's, it's the wrong place to do that. But with that being said, um, it's, it's not to live, it's not okay to live as if your faith is a private thing. Uh, sometimes I bump into people and they say, well, that's just a private thing. I'm totally all in, but I just, I just don't bring that to work. I don't bring any of that. Well, well that's not okay if, if that's the whole rhythm of your life. Maybe you don't lead into that, but eventually if you're working with people or living in a neighborhood, they should eventually discover who you are as a Christ follower. Uh, you and I ought to, ought to do that. It is not to be a private thing for our whole life. We're supposed to share it. We're supposed to share with actions and words, not just actions, but words. That's one of my regrets in high school is that I tried to live the actions without the words. And I'll be frank with you. I never had anyone stop at my locker and say, Dave, you act like a Christ follower. Are you one? Never had anyone do that. And my later years in high school, I definitely lived that way. And kids knew that there were certain things I wouldn't do and there were certain things and that kind of a thing. But again, there needs to be a point where there are some words to accompany that. No one knows this better in the sense of backing off, um, not sharing your faith, than Peter. But it's interesting, years later, this is what he writes. Through thick and thin, keep your hearts at attention in adoration before Christ, your master. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks you why you're living the way you are, and always with the utmost courtesy. Aha. Uh -huh. Your heart at attention means you are letting your heart be owned by your master, by Christ, in adoration before him. Be ready to speak up. Be ready. And, and it doesn't have to be some theological discord. It's just, it's just be ready. Be ready to share with anyone. And there's this idea that eventually our lives should be living in a certain way that people ask us about things, and we start to sprinkle a little faith in there. And then as times go on, we can put more in there and do it with courtesy, utmost courtesy, a lot of courtesy. Don't be insulting. Just share where your heart is at. And uh, one of the things that I had to learn as I got, I got a little older into my 20s that that I wasn't responsible like to give every piece of faith out in one conversation. So someone might ask me, Dave, so tell me a little bit about your faith, and, and I, should, I should do it like 10 or 15 minutes at the most and then, then move on to something else. Then the person wants to hear a little bit more. They're, they're going to digest that. 
But if I give them the whole load, if it's like drinking water from a fire hose, they're probably going to never bring it up again to me again. And, and, and I would see that happen early on in my life. I would just, you know, da, 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 and I couldn't stop talking about it. And then they'd be like, wow, I wish I hadn't brought that up. But if I'd done small little bite-sized digestible pieces, kind of moving them along in a conversation, uh, that, that would seem to be very helpful. So our faith, it's not okay to live as if your faith is a private thing. But at the same time, we don't need to lead into it. And Mordecai and Esther were, were stuck in this place where, where they weren't going to share their faith at this point. Uh, moving on to verse uh, 21, we read, During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigtha and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Now, these two guys were eunuchs. So that might have been one of the reasons uh, why they were mad at the king, because they weren't eunuchs at one time, and the king probably made them eunuchs. And uh, it's thought that about 500 young men went through that process every year. And they would be set aside to serve the king in a special way. And if you had harems and girls and all this kind of thing, the thought was if they were castrated, if they were eunuchs, then there would be no romances, so that was the way to stop that. So that could have been one of the reasons these two guys were mad at him, but they started to conspire to assassinate him, the, the king. And uh, we read on, but Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. So this is an amazing thing, you know, uh, Mordecai shares it with his, his, his daughter, his daughter shares it with her husband, who's the king, and um, they continue on, and we see what happened. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. That sounds very disgusting. All this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. So Mordecai had saved the king's life. Um, there's some debate whether it was it total impaling about this time in history, crucifixion, crucifixion started to come on the scenes and the Romans perfect that. That's, uh, you know, how Jesus died. So there's some thinking that that might have been what was going on here, but it was a very unpleasant death and it was all written down. It was all documented. Everybody knew anything. And if you stop here at this point in the story, nothing good happens for Mordecai. You think there would have been at least a parade or something like that. Um, you know, Mordecai, uh, you know, saved the, the king's life and nothing happens. There was no reward for doing good at this point. It's very clear that it was Mordecai. But again, this comes back to Xerxes. He just, he just was so into himself at times that he just, you know, just kind of, oh, that's great, and just kind of moved along. And what's also interesting here is that Mordecai actually told Esther. Um, I don't know about you, but if King Xerxes had done what he had done to my daughter, and I heard that someone was going to take out the bad guy, I might just not say anything, right? Not say anything and let it happen, and King Xerxes gets what he deserves. You know, this idea of a good thing for a bad person. Uh, you and I are, are faced with this occasionally. Um, maybe not an evil, evil, terrible person, but a person that just hasn't been kind to you, and you see something coming down the road, and uh, in a sense, and you have the option to step in and kind of protect this guy, tell him what's going to happen, or you can just let, let nature take its course. And Mordecai is starting to have his faith grow in his life, it seems, 
and he realizes that uh, even if this is a bad person, um, it's, uh, it's, you've got to speak up and say something. Um, all of you must obey, and this gets us into government, all of you must obey government rulers. Everyone who rules was given to the power to be ruled by God, and all those who rule now were given that power by God. And, and this is a hard verse to come to terms with when you think of all the rulers that have been throughout history. Um, when you think of who was the ruler when Paul writes these words to the Romans in Rome, the capital, it was Nero. And Nero was a horrible guy. I think I would rather have Xerxes in my life than Nero in my life. And uh, so you see Paul writing this. You know, it's not let's have a revolution. Let's do these kinds of things. Paul is uh, thinking about the ruler that he experiences, and these are the words he says. So it's interesting. Mordecai steps in and saves the, the bad guy. And then you could go back to in the last hundred years. Um, oh, I'm going to get his name wrong. Bonhoeffer. I don't know if you know who that was. He was a pastor in Germany. And uh, he became aware of um, an assassination attempt or one that was in process for Hitler. And in his case, he didn't say anything. And he ends up in jail. It's thwarted. But you, so you got, again, one of these stories like we talked about last week, you got these two different responses in tension. And as I read and read and tried to figure out what the difference was, some say, well, you know, Xerxes was bad, but Hitler was, you know, world war and all this kind of a thing. So, you know, he, he was much worse. So uh, it was okay for Bonhoeffer not to say anything. But it's interesting, how, how do you navigate those waters? The reality is when you and I are interacting with our governments, uh, we do need to follow their lead. Uh, we do need to watch that their authority has been given to them by God. And when it deviates from that, then it's a time for us not to go along with it. And everybody has a different level of when that is, but, but that, that is, that's the way it is to be. We talked about husband and wife relationship. We talked about Vashi saying no to Xerxes. And we said... When, when a husband, if a husband is supposed to set the tone in the home and uh, be a servant leader, when a husband asks their spouse, their wife, to do something that is out of line with God's will because they have their leadership from God, they can actually step out of that and not do those kinds of things. So if your husband wanted you to you know, go rob a bank or something like that, you couldn't go, well, my husband told me, and I, you know, I just followed his lead. But when we get to those situations... It needs to be very clear in our mind whether we're playing games or that's really what's going to happen. Because it's interesting, you know, we could go back and see what did Jesus do when it came time to be taxed? He paid his tax. Um, what did, uh, when they caught him, kind of trying to catch him, the, 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 um, the scribes and everything about paying taxes, uh, he was very clever and uh, he knew the, the um, Pharisees were hoping that he would say something that would uh, cause him not to be liked by the people, or that he would say something that would be say that would be cause him to be in trouble with the empire, Rome. And uh, he very easily said he picked up a coin and said, "Whose picture's on this coin?" And they said, "Caesar." And then he said, "Give to Caesar what's Caesar, and give to God what's God." And it was like they were like their minds were blowing because they thought they had him. So this idea of our response to our governments uh, is that God has set these set them in place. Um, so anyone who is against the government is really against something God has commanded. Those who are against the government bring punishment on themselves. So obviously there are things that we can do 
uh, that just uh, get us in trouble with the government. Uh, don't pay our taxes, are not accurate with that. Uh, drive any way we wanna drive, we, we get in trouble. And that, that's a punishment to ourselves. But there is this unique situation when it comes to government, comes to rules, comes to um, uh, morality, all these kinds of things that uh, it is fantastic to be in a country where Christ followers or Judeo-Christian ethics have been a part of the fabric of our country. And I've showed you this video before, but I think it's really powerful um, from, and I'll just, I'll let the video explain and then we'll make some comments afterwards. Some time ago, I had a conversation with a Marxist economist from China. He was coming to the end of a Fulbright Fellowship here in Boston. And I asked him if he had learned anything that was surprising or unexpected. And without any hesitation, he said, yeah, I had no idea how critical religion is to the functioning of democracy. The reason why democracy works, he said, is not because the government was designed to oversee what everybody does, but rather democracy works because most people, most of the time, voluntarily choose to obey the law. And in your past, most Americans attended a church or a synagogue every week, and they were taught there by people who they respected. My friend went on to say that Americans followed these rules because they had come to believe that they weren't just accountable to society, they were accountable to God. My Chinese friend heightened a vague but nagging concern I've harbored inside that as religion loses its influence over the lives of Americans, what will happen to our democracy? Where are the institutions that are gonna teach the next generation of Americans that they too need to voluntarily choose to obey the laws? Because if you take away religion, you can't hire enough police. Pretty powerful observation. I think it was George Washington talked about the Republic and he said, unless the Republic is, has religious men involved, the Republic will fail, something like that. And so then even going back to what we earlier started with, with Mordecai and Esther not pointing to their faith, you see that not pointing to our faith has an impact on our culture, on our world, and really it's not about new rules, it's not about new laws, it's about changed hearts. And as people's hearts are changed and they feel responsible to God, they want to please him, then you'll find them following these rules. Because they know they're not ultimately accountable to a nation, to a government, but they're ultimately accountable to God. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I, I, my taxes as a pastor are a little odd at times. And, uh, you know, what really keeps me doing them right not as because I'm accountable to the government as much as that I know I'm accountable to God. And I don't want to get into heaven and have God say, Dave, you did all these things really great, but why did you do this? Why did you play games with your taxes when I could bless your life and the amount of money we're talking here is nothing to, compared to the blessing I can bring into your life? And even if there was no blessing into your life because you paid your taxes well, you just did it to, to please me. So that, that there are a lot of things in my life, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things in my life where I am so in love with God now that I want to please him. It's not because I'm worried about getting slapped on the hand 
We've talked about this before when it comes to our relationship with our dads, at least in my life. My dad was a, was a, was a great guy, but it, or is a great guy, was a great guy, is a great guy. Um, and he, uh, you, know, uh, you know, if I got out of line, I got in trouble. And uh, so I, at first, didn't want to get out of line because I didn't want to get in trouble. But then as I grew older, I wanted to stay in line because I wanted to please him. I wanted him to be happy with my life. It wasn't that I was worried about being punished. It was just so I want to please him. And the same thing can happen with our relationship with God. Maybe it gets our attention that, you know, we don't want to go to hell. We don't want all these kinds of things. But eventually, hopefully, there's a, like a, a tipping point in our lives where the reason we live the way we do isn't because we want to be, don't want to be in trouble with God. It's because we want to please him and honor him. And as we please and honor him, we're just pleasing and honoring our Heavenly Father who's given us life. So that's why we function that way. Well, you can read on in Romans. Again, it talks about this relationship with governments and authorities and set up by God and how to interact with that and to realize that uh, it's just not just arbitrarily happening, that God's got his hand behind that. Uh, we can go back. We started the first week even with uh, with um, Esther. The reason they were in captivity is God used the Babylonians to wipe them out because they had decided not to follow God. And this had gone on for years and years and years. God kept warning them, and so then he used an evil guy like uh, King Nebuchadnezzar to come in and, and take them into captivity. He said, right from day one, if you do not honor me, you can't stay in the land. Uh, I've cleaned the land up from the last residence, and it would be wrong for me not to clean up the land if you act just like them. And that, that's what he did. So this idea, again, of of uh, consequences and using even governments and things that we go, ooh, uh, using them to accomplish his will and his purpose in this world. Now, when we think about all this, we need to also realize that as we're, we're trying to follow God's lead and we're trying to think of this, our, our next thought is this, is that we need to live for an audience of one. You may have heard this terminology before, but we're not living for other people. We're not living to, to, for, to, the, to the approval of other folks. We're living for our approval of the audience one, and that is God. And so whatever's going on in our life, we're trying to live for his approval. And if it makes other people happy, that's great, but it's his approval primarily. And it can be really hard to do. Sometimes we can get out of line with this. Uh, Jesus talks about that. Be especially careful when you are trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. He doesn't like us playing games. He doesn't like us just doing a performance. He wants it coming from our heart. So as you and I think about government, you and I think about all the things in our life, we need to realize we're living before the audience of one, and that is God. Um, Back to one, Psalm 139. Uh, we read, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know me when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. And at first glance, I go, Isn't that awesome? I have a personal God that's involved in my life. He's aware of everything about my life. And then moments later, I'm horrified by that. Because that means he's aware of everything. When I have a thought, uh, maybe a thought of arrogance, maybe a thought of, boy, I wish I could do this to get that person or whatever, but I'm cleaned up enough not to actually live that thought, God knows I had that thought. 
I want to change my thinking patterns. I want to be changed from the inside out so my exterior matches up with my interior. Those of us who have known God for a while can be a cultural Christian. We can do the right things. And it's not motivated by heart. It's all motivated by we know the rules. We know how to act. We know what's acceptable and not acceptable. We want it to come from the heart. And so God knows that. So even when we're, in a sense, fooling everyone around us, the audience of one is not being fooled. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Yikes. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. My dad loves to tell a story when he went to college. Uh, his mom said he just had, she had one rule for him. And the one rule was this. Just act like Jesus is with you in the room, wherever you are. And she said, my dad would joke back to her, said, now you've taken all my fun away from going to college. <laughs> but that is true. He's with us. He knows his hand is on us. Sometimes that's very wonderful. I'm in a situation where I feel uncomfortable, uh, feel alone, awkward or whatever, and I imagine in my mind that God's hand is on my shoulder. And he's saying, Dave, I'm with you. You can take the next step through this. Again, the idea that uh, we can't run from him. He's everywhere. We live before the audience of one. So when it comes to doing the right thing, whether it's with government, whatever it is, we're living before him. We know he's with us. We can't get away from him. And he's with us. And even when we don't feel like it, we know factually he is with us. Facts override our feelings. These passages override our feelings. He is with us. And so just uh, wrapping it up with this one last thought, you know, when it comes to an understanding we live before an audience of one, we realize that integrity is doing the right thing, especially when no one sees, but actually God sees, but we think no one sees around us. What do you do when no one, you think no one's looking? God is looking, but that's integrity. So the good news is crooked sticks in the hand of God makes straight lines. Have you put yourself in the hand of God? Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you invited him into your life? Have you acknowledged your need for forgiveness of sin? Are you in the process of repenting of that sin? And all repenting means is you're changing the course of your life as God reveals to it. Have you put yourself in God's hand? You can do that and start that relationship with in the here and now as we close in prayer. And then for those of us who have, his hand is open and uh, it's easy to jump out of that hand. Do you keep yourself in the hand of God? Do you keep going back? Those are the kinds of ideas I ask myself most mornings. I say, God, I'm putting myself in your hand for this day. Help me to stay there. Help me not to live too many hours without thinking about that. Help me to realize I'm living before an audience of one. Not because I'm worried about you slapping me down 
pointing out how bad I am, but because you want my life to be right and for me to enjoy the fruit of living a right life and living a right life with the least amount of static on the line when it comes to my relationship with God. That's why he's that way. That's why he wants us to put ourselves in his hands. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for just these few verses from Esther. There's a lot going on in there. And we thank you that uh, you included this book in your word for us to learn, for us to savor, for us to digest. And Father, we do ask that we would understand our hearts in the sense that our hearts are desperately in need of you in a dynamic daily relationship. It's just not coming to you and just kind of forgetting about that. It's being in your presence, mindful that we're in your presence day after day after day and enjoying that and help that to show up in the way we respond to people in our lives when there's, uh, you know, bad people and what are we going to do something good for them? What's, what's our heart with that? And then help us to remember how to interact with our government, how to point to you. What does that look like? Help us not to get caught up in, in craziness that doesn't point to you. Help us to be wise, wise with the way we live our lives in honoring. And help us always to remember we live before the audience of one. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.